from Ski Tracks, it's the show people talk about. It's Talking with the Gravy Train, your source for Nordic news and one-on-one interviews with current Nordic skiing newsmakers of the day. Sometimes we'll look back and share the rich history of the sport, and sometimes we'll be engaged in the current topic of the day. And now, here's your host, longtime Olympic announcer, Peter Graves. Hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Graves. It's another edition of Talking with the Gravy Train. Today uh, on the line, we're fortunate to have uh, the legendary Marty Hall with us, uh, known very well, of course, as an author, as a, a national team coach for both the United States and Canada, and uh, and longtime expert and pundit on the sport. This weekend at Squaw Valley, California, Marty will be inducted into the U.S. Ski Hall of Fame, and he joins us live on the line from his home in Durham, New Hampshire. Well, Marty, uh, good to have you with us, and uh, I am sure you're looking forward to this weekend. Peter, it's ex- it's quite exciting. Uh, you know, a culmination to all that's happened to me over the years, and um, it, it, it's, I don't know if you want to say it's a reward, but it's, uh, it, it definitely makes me feel good about who I am and what I did. Yeah, well, you richly deserve it, uh, Marty. And I, I know that in the conversations we have had offline to this interview, it's sort of interesting that this banquet is going to be an in, uh, induction in Squaw Valley, California, because in, uh, in some ways that marks a, a very early juncture in your ski career, doesn't it? You've been doing some research, or you've got a great memory. <laughs> 1959, Al Merrill, who was the head of the Nordic program in the United States and also at Dartmouth, uh, was running their, their program. He and Chummy Broomhall were, uh, had been picked or were, I guess, picked or hired to um, put the um, cross-country venue together in Squaw Valley. And uh, he asked me and uh, Joe Pete to come out and work on a the trail system for a whole month before the North American Championships. And like I say, that was in 1959, and that was the beginning of my involvement uh, in international skiing. Well, uh, apropos uh, to be there, and uh, of course, uh, the Hall of Fame is in Ishpeming, Michigan, for the United States, and uh, we'd like to encourage people, uh, if they are driving through, uh, to uh, check out uh, the Hall of Fame, which Marty will be inducted into this weekend. So, Marty, when you look back on what has been a very long uh, career, um, tell me some of the highlights for you. Well, of course, Koki and his medal uh, in 76 in Innsbruck. Um, actually, the venue was up in Seyfeld, but uh, that would, uh, and, uh, well, the big thing, Peter, I just wrote this, and um, it has to, the athletes, all the athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was a lucky person in being involved with all of these guys and girls, uh, uh, they're motivated, directed, goal-oriented. I mean, they work their butts off. Uh, uh, it, you can't say it made the job easy, but it sure didn't make it any harder. That's for sure. And it was just, just a great experience. And I, I, and the thing is, is I, I still keep hearing from people who are on the teams. Uh, I'm still involved with things that were happening back then. Um, 
wide ranging. I there's a lot to be. Like I said, um, I think this is a reward for all the good things I did and uh, the great times I had and all the travel and uh, um, so. And I'm the kind of guy who likes to work hard and uh, this job definitely. A lot of uh, 18-hour days, um, one right after the other, and um, but doing what I loved. I just loved it. It was a hell of a challenge uh, because we were in a fight from the beginning, uh, trying to become as good as they are over there, which we have now proven. Um, with um, all that went on at the Olympics in Pyeongchang uh, this year. So uh, it's... I, 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 anyway, it's been a great experience. Yeah, and I know how hard you worked uh, because I saw you when you worked with the U.S. ski team as a coach. I also know how hard you worked with Canada. You were an American, but you gave your heart and soul to the Canadian ski team during that period you had that job. That was a wee thing, uh, Peter. I went right from the beginning going up there. It was we, 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 we. I never talked about the American program whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and an aside to that, I brought a good friend of mine now and then, but also one of my athletes, Peter, uh, Peter, Doug Peterson, up to uh, Canada to be my assistant coach and then fired him the next year because he couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. All he wanted to do was talk about the American program, and that's the last thing the Canadians wanted. That was a big mistake I made. Uh, nothing against Doug, but um, that—that's the step you have to make. You have to become them. That was—it was easy to do. And you develop very close relationships. I mean, uh, for years, I, I, I have heard you, you know, uh, be, uh, uh, you were uh, admired uh, people like Pierre Harvey very much. Uh, Peter it was really easy. This sport, because of what it demands of you, is so easy to get engrossed in. It was easy for me. Well, I'm a Canadian citizen, also, mm-hmm. and I can. When I tell people I was up there for 26 years, they say, "So uh, you're a Canadian? Uh, why'd you move to the United States?" <laughs> so, uh, no, it was. Uh, and you know, they're more like us. I'll tell you a little story, Peter. When we just had our election, all my Canadian friends stayed up way later in the night listening to the outcome of the election than mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, no, it was, it was easy to do. And the other thing is what I had learned with the American program became a template for what I had to do up there. And uh, things that I did, uh, sports medicine, uh, points list, uh, all kinds of things that made the poor. Oh, so I, I took the pool, their pool, and turned it into in one year a hundred thousand. And I'm talking about I'm not talking about equipment. I'm talking about money, hundred thousand uh, dollar business. And uh, we probably received a good million dollars worth of of equipment, clothing. I mean everything from the underwear out. Yeah. Uh, and I, I a story about that is is that after I started selling the pool, um, about a month, month and a half. My program director called me into her office. She says, do you realize that you've spent more money than the whole Alpine and Nordic team programs um, huh. uh, on the phone this last month? And 
than they did. And I said, well, expect more of it because I'm selling this pool and it's going to take some phone calls, more phone calls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's interesting. I mean, you certainly did a great job with it. So I, I want to uh, segue between that and now because you watch things very, very closely. Obviously, for the U.S. team, and certainly with Alex Harvey as well, um, this was an amazing season, culminating with Keegan and Jesse's gold medal. Um, any? What are your thoughts on all of that? Uh, fun to watch. <laughs> Indeed it was, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, I, I blew it. I really blew it in that. I knew they were going to win a medal. I just knew. Mm-hmm. Watching, you know, Jesse has been... Oh, God, I can't believe how she can keep pushing that button every race, race after race, all season long. All season long. She was still going at the Super Series in uh, Craftsbury this spring. But I'm saying uh, anybody who pushes that hard has to crash sometime, and she never did. She she always pulled it out. But Keegan, who was having some foot problems, and she uh, these are kind of a ongoing thing with her that's why one of the reasons she's changed boot companies but um she was a little bit in the dumps in regards to her results but then all of a sudden she took that break for a foot and then she had a pretty good race and you know back in the 40s and then all of a sudden she jumped up into the 20s and then she jumped up into t- 10s so i said this girl is on a peaking run look out and if I could, I should have gone to Las Vegas and found out what the odds were on them because I would have bet a lot of money and I would have won a lot of money. Uh, you have to feel really good. I mean, um, it's hard to compare programs. Um, you know, when you hear Keegan talk about how she's done it all in her 10-year window, which turned out to be a 12-year window, to get to where she really wanted to be. I sometimes think she even forgets about the fact that she did the globes, three globes, sprinting globes, you know, three years in a row. I mean, that's mm-hmm. monumental mm-hmm. Um, yes. to, uh, to be that good for that many years, for that many races. So um, uh, I, we, were young, we were a young program. I was a young coach. Um, we put a lot of things in places I can give you. A, and, and the other thing is, is the sport at the time I went into it was in a revolution. I mean, everything was changing. Uh, you know, we started with uh, mechanical grooming becoming the first thing. That caused a whole change. And, um, and then there's tons of things that happened that, you know, I could get my list out and tell you. So everything started from a base, and then there's been growth and adding on and adding on. And uh, other things that, one of the things I believe has helped North America become more competitive, really competitive, is social media. Mm-hmm. Nobody has any secrets anymore. Everybody likes to talk about what they're doing. If you want to take and see what the Russians are doing, just go right in uh, um, uh, on YouTube, uh, Russian Stone Program. Bingo, there it is. You got it. You, got it. you see what they're doing. And the thing that uh, <laughs> I the the music they play with the, with the video the dancing yes that's oh, great it's really interesting music anyway the other thing is 
Who's running their program? A woman. Okay? And uh, you don't see many women being the coaches in anybody's programs. And so, and especially, um, well, anyway, so what's, what's going on is great. And the other thing is, is I think there is a formula now for this to maintain itself. There might be some up and, ups and downs. It's going to be interesting to see how they replace uh, Liz and, and, and Keegan. But, uh, you know, that's two, big, two pretty big holes there are girls in the background. I'm, I just would love to have Keegan stay another year and uh, uh, let those those guys, the Rosies, and the um, you know fill in behind. They're there, um, but I'm not sure they're gonna. We don't have anybody who's a real bright star that's gonna really raise the help raise the level. But uh, who knows? Well, uh, there's but, so many young girls skiing, and and oh. uh, that that's a, a super positive thing. Um, and 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 the um, American uh, boys had some really great World Junior results, uh, second in the relay. No, dude, that uh, you brought that up. Okay, it used to be when we got one person in the top twenty at the World Juniors. This year it was a landslide. Last year it was the beginning of the landslide. You know, it's not us getting one person. We're getting multiples all over the place. And so we used to say, make the top 20, and you're going to be a World Cup point scorer uh, in the future Yeah. when you go to the World Juniors. Yeah. Get a top 20, you'll, we'll be seeing you on the, you know, the World Cup, and you'll be a scorer. And, Marty, so. t- uh, talk to me a little bit about the Canadian program, something you watch uh, with equal uh, fervor. What, uh, how do you assess it now? Uh, in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, really in trouble. Uh, the, uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that I could, um, they're way overstaffed, mm-hmm. way overstaffed. They're spending so much money in that office to administrate the programs. Uh, there are backups to backups to backups. Um, being a, an international coach takes special people. Uh, not easy to find. Uh, that's the other thing that uh, uh, I use the term international IQ. They're lacking. Um, when we when you go to, uh, I'd say I don't know the the American Board of Directors that well, uh, or the Ski Committee that well, but I do know the Canadian quite well, and uh, the High Performance Committee, and uh, essentially lacking in international IQ all through the organization. And, uh, you know, when I was, uh, when I got, I was a women's program, first program coach. And I got left out of that position when Al Merrill left the national team to go to work at Dartmouth full time. And he had been given an ultimatum on that. And I did the interview. And then when the new guy came in, I didn't get the job. Uh, Jim Belfont did. And I felt, uh, that when I got back under him, <laughs> working for him, he had to call me and say, hey, I made a mistake. Uh, I put the wrong person in that position to take care of the girls. He says, I want you to take this group to Europe, and when you get over there, you maneuver yourself in amongst the, so that you're in charge of every, you'll be the head coach. I'll make that apparent a to everybody, and you've got to maneuver yourself in so those girls aren't calling me anymore. 
because I keep getting calls in the middle of the night about Mr. Hotel Reservations, <laughs> Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Certain people are meant to be club coaches. Certain people are meant to be uh, program coaches. And certain people are made to be international-type people, coaches. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a rare... It's rare when that happens. Uh, you got two pretty good guys in there right now, I'll tell you, and they've put together a team along with the help from the athletes. Um, and one of the things I think, and it's hard to you know put a finger on this, but the fact that they go to Europe every year for the five months, you know, and nobody really leaks out of that group and goes back home or anything unless they get injured or need an operation like Liz did this winter when she broke a hand or wrist. And, uh, but I think that helped bring them totally together and how to exist as a team together and how to support each other as a team. Yeah, you know, so, learned, they've learned um, to be very cooperative. There's no question uh, about it's, it. Uh, it, it it's, it's fun to watch. Um, and I don't know, I'm going to try to reference this, but they, I didn't see one this year, but... In the past years, they've done a team dance, mm-hmm. and they took some popular music and and um, the voice over there, and it's you can see that for, for them to do that, it's so far outside of the skiing, but it isn't because it builds the team, and they all have to work together to get this dance. They're, they're, and and they're good. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> a spree de corps building. And enthused, and everybody else picks up. And you know what else has happened, Peter? It's not us watching them; it's them watching us. Yeah, that's what's going on. All the other teams now do the sparkle stuff, and they, you know, they do. We want to be like the Americans. Absolutely, yes, and, and there have been great examples of some of the Finns, Saarinen, coming over and going up on the glacier, uh, Eagle Glacier, and, and trading with APU up there. They want to know what this magic is all about. Yep, and uh, the uh, best way to do it and experience it is to come and see it. But also, the uh, it, it's a two-way street. The girls over here are going over there for the time periods in the summer. Go to their camps, uh, friendly, and the other wall that they've broken down. And I have to give credit to Becky Scott and, oh, got a name. What's her name? Sarah Renner. Yep. They used, to, they used to always be, seemed to be when they went on the World Cups that they were in the hotels with the, with the Norwegians. Mm-hmm. And so they um, would get on the elevator in the morning, and the Norwegians wouldn't speak to them. Wouldn't speak to them. Mm. And so... They finally decided, okay, we're going to get these girls so that they're either going to talk to us or they're going to punch us. <laughs> get, on the, get on the elevator in the morning, and they go right up to them and look them right in the face. Good morning. How are you? Da-da-da, Merritt. How are you? You know, name, call them by name, and, say, you know, and they do it day after day after day. Finally, they started to answer, and they've broken down that, that barrier between Norwegians, okay, you can do what you're doing on the tracks, but don't do it in the dining room and in the living rooms and wherever else we see you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not out here to kill each other when we're walking around the streets and shopping and all that. Uh, let's get, uh, let's, let's have some fun with this thing. Yeah. You can still, you can still race as hard as you want to, and we're going to race as hard as we are, but we'd like to get to know you. 
Yeah. And and speaking of that, and our time draws short now, but um, uh, I have seen as an announcer going up to both Canmore and uh, Quebec uh, that the World Cups that Canada has put on have been incredibly beneficial. Spectators are populated with a lot of Americans up there, as well as Canadians, obviously. And, um, you know, a lot of us think it's getting pretty close to high time that we uh, have some reciprocal uh, thing with the U.S. and have a World Cup down there. And I know there's discussion about something uh, that might eventually bring a a race, but don't you agree that having World Cups on uh, North American snows are a vital piece of the puzzle? Huge. Huge. And it's a shame we just don't have anybody down here who wants to cough up a couple million bucks, because that's what it's going to take to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, there's plenty of places that can organize good races, great races, but there's no, no money. You tell me, I mean, that's going to be the first barrier that you have to get over. And uh, um, it's not going to happen until that happens. Uh, but the fact that they, you know, next year, uh, the last, uh, the finals are going to be in Quebec, and that's one of the reasons that uh, uh, Alex Harvey is going to continue racing next year after uh, the Olymp- Olympics this year would have been a great time for him to retire. But nope, he's got it rolling. Uh, he's, he's, I think, He's one of the top three or four guys. Um, He's good in both distance and sprint. He's good in both techniques. He's strategically strong. Um, And sometimes that gets in your way, but, uh, you know, uh, playing the games that you have to play in, especially longer distance races. But uh, he's definitely one of the top two or three guys in in the world. Um, and so he wants to end his, they're talking about him ending his career next year with those races, but I just heard a rumor the other day that he may be going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he might continue on to the next Olympics. Yeah, well, and of course and, next year is a world championship year in Seyfeld, a, a place that most of the athletes love to go to. We do too, Peter. Yep. Edric Oakey won his medal. That's right, that's right. And Marty, do you ever think we'll get to the point, uh, looking ahead, that there'll be more uh, prize money uh, coming forth? Uh, it seems, in general, that's another area that, um, at the elite level, uh, you know, we're, we're way behind other sports in uh, golf, tennis, just to mention a few. Uh, that's the fist that has to get that done. Uh, I There's a... a pet peeve I have now that with the IOC and the FIS, do you, and Peter, I'm going to get holy hell for this. Well, be careful. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your words, Uh, not mine, coach. Uh, um, Exactly. This is my thinking. Don't worry. It's, I, I, there's no prize money at the Olympics. Do you realize the billions of dollars that the Olympic movement every four years captures mm-hmm. from sponsorship? Those, those uh, sponsors don't get in cheap, I'll tell you. So why aren't they paying prize money to the athletes at the Olympics? Why aren't they paying prize money at the world championships at the, at the fist level? 
Why isn't? Why don't they have coverage like they do in golf? Every player gets some money at the end of the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's big money at the top end, and uh, the the ones and everything has to progress. You know, five, ten years ago, five years ago, probably we didn't have any prize money. Might be a little longer than that, but I'm not sure. We didn't have any prize money. The other thing is, is they took the prize money they had this year and split it up so that they could spread it over more athletes. So that's a step in the right direction. But now what we need to do is double and triple the money. So I'd be very surprised. You know, nobody ever talks about the money. Nobody. And Jesse won $100,000 this year. That's mm-hmm. on just prize money on the World Cup circuit. Mm-hmm. But you have to be that good to make that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sadie made about uh, fifty or $60,000 on the, on the World Cup circuit. That's not bad money. Uh, you can at least justify calling yourself a professional athlete now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I, I, you know, those, those athletes, when you think about all the time and effort they spent when they were 10 years old, 8 years old, becoming a cross-country skier, and the money spent on equipment and clothing and everything, travel and going to races as they grow older and older and older. And, you know, they, I talked with Dave Wood, who used to be the national team coach in Canada. I was his mentor in his beginning, and we talk a lot. He's talking about his boy. They have a boy who's really good internationally, and it cost him $40,000 to go on the circuit this year. Mm-hmm. 40000 And the figures that you quote... something on the other end, not just to uh, come to the World Championships or come to the World Cups. The World Cups have prize money. World Championships don't, and they should. And, and, and the Olympics don't, and, and they Marty, should. And the Marty, money should be full range. In other words, from 1st to 40th or 1st to 80th. Um, people don't... There's a term for not being paid for work. And the thing is, is the billions of dollars both those organizations have at their discretion should be used to take care of the athletes first. And the figures that you quote, uh, they're based on your best guesstimate knowing what the World Cup payout is. Is that right? Uh, It's If you go... So if you go to FIS, the FIS website, after a race, you'll see on the right-hand side up at the top, there's, there's 10 more files. Yeah. One of those files is the prize money for the day and the prize money for the uh, year so far. Okay, okay. Okay, and yeah. you, so you can see accurately there, I think the prize money now is about 10000 maybe 13000 bucks for first place. And then it goes down a number of places down, maybe 10 or 15 places. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. Uh, that's what Jesse earned over this year. Be- before this year, I wrote this last spring that they should take the money and split it so more people get the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, they would never admit that I wrote it, but they <laughs> did it. They split the money, and so more people are getting money. Yeah. But it's time for them to start to up the fare, and especially for the world championships. Well, you start looking at things like TV ratings and crowds at a lot of venues, and all of a sudden you see very clearly that our sport is is very interesting, very compelling. Sprinting, well, of course, you, helped. A lot of my friends yeah. who are my friends 
saw that cross-country race the girls won, and I can tell you, they, I had phone calls. Yeah, I did too. Okay, saying, hey, Jesus, what? And from people who I didn't think would have a clue that the races were taken, did you see that race? Of course I didn't see that race. What do you think? I was out shoveling snow. No, I wasn't. I was watching that race. I don't care what the hell was going on. I was going to be watching that race. Definitely. I watch, I've watched that race four or five times. Easily. Yeah, it was there amazing. Is a, we are, we are, that is part of growing the culture. And, you know, I said earlier in the phone call, social media has broken down a lot of the barriers, and that's another one of the barriers that's getting broken down. The fact that we can now see, and you know what, Peter? We now see, our kids now see everything that those kids over there were seeing. Okay, so that grows your sport another. I mean, you can see these guys ski, you see them race, you can see the tactics, the strategies, all that stuff that takes place, okay, and the way positions change in the race, how people ski together, how, I mean, the education, sport education is taking place big time, and it's going to make us better. Well, Marty Hall, uh, you have made us better, and uh, I think of you a student of the sport, Still very relevant, uh, candid, and lively. And this weekend to be inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. So, Marty, I, I, I end the call by saying thank you. And uh, I look forward to the weekend. And uh, you're richly deserving of this honor. Thanks for taking some time to, uh, to talk cross-country with us. Yep. Well, at least I didn't have to be out raking the lawn, Peter. <laughs> no doubt about that with the temperatures here. All right. Well, that's Marty Hall. I'm Peter Graves. Join us next time for another edition of Talking with the Gravy Train.